sermon podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. All right, take a look around you this morning. See who is gathered together in the presence of Christ and in the name of the Lord. Lock eyes, smile with your eyes if you have your mask on, smile with your teeth if you don't, and uh, wave, send air high fives, whatever it is that you do. And um, guys, it is important to look and see who is gathered together with us. All right. How many of you guys are ready to jump into the word this morning? Amen. Amen. What a wonderful, beautiful day already. Jonathan, thank you for finally playing that song for me. I know you did it just for me. And I'm, I'm just for me. I'm so grateful. I love that song. That is such a powerful song. All right, grab your Bibles. We're going to go all throughout the scriptures today, continuing our talks about friendship in community. Let us pray. And then let us posture our hearts before the word. God, thank you so much. Thank you. Lord, our hearts are truly grateful. Our hearts are so grateful here in your presence, here amongst brothers and sisters, believers, followers of Jesus. Lord, I was reading earlier this week from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together, and he says, it is always a gift and it is always a grace when the visible church is able to gather together. And today, Father, help us to not take this moment lightly. Help us to assign it the appropriate weight that it deserves, that this is grace. That when the visible church comes together, we come together in Jesus and by Jesus and through Jesus. And this moment right now is a gift. Father, help us to receive it so that we may express gratitude to you and to one another. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, can we declare together that Christ is risen? risen Amen. And he is the reason why we exist and why we gather. Okay, let me share a little story with you very quickly. This is taken out of a book called Living Into Community, which I'm going to give a strong plug for here in a few minutes. This breakdown could have been avoided, but then few breakdowns in community are inevitable. In this case, some folks made several poor decisions. Other people responded poorly to the poor decisions. More decisions, more responses, more trouble. Words were exchanged, positions hardened, and sides drawn up. Rumors flew, and even when folks knew they were rumors, they repeated them until it was very difficult to discern what had really and truly happened. People were angry and hurt, Some conversations stopped and new alliances were formed. Only certain people knew about key meetings. A lot of energy was expended in determining motives, justifying decisions, and anticipating the opposition's next move. Regular activities continued, but the life was drained out of them. Everything seemed hollow. Small acts and casual comments were freighted with huge symbolic meaning. What do you really mean when you say that? What do you really mean when you do that? Everyone felt undervalued and betrayed by someone. A number of people threatened to leave. The meltdown 
had taken on a life of its own. Friends questioned one another's commitments. Grumbling and weariness became highly contagious. Disagreements took strange turns. Old differences and hurts came to the surface, and they played into the present trouble in unpredictable ways. Some people ducked, determined to weather the storm without being drawn into it. Others defected in place, showing up only when the occasion required it, but emotionally and relationally, they were absent or detached. A few seemed to add fuel to the fire, reporting the latest outrageous development. Still, others tried to keep conversations going and looked for resolution, but they were often battered or sidetracked in the process. Several years later, several years later, members of the community continue to live with the wounds, even as they move forward. Roy, did that just throw you into PTSD, my friend? <laughs> you know, when we choose to enter into community, when we choose to respond to God's invitation and to God's call to be what he has called us to be, which is the family of God. Friends, we have been born into a family. We're not like the family of God. We are the family of God. You are my brother you are my sister. The moment I said yes to Jesus, I said yes to Jesus' family. I was adopted, and I found myself with a bunch of brothers and sisters that I didn't choose. <laughs> Just like when we were born into our families, we did not make a choice of the family that we were born into. We were placed sovereignly by the choice of God. Now, the church at large we belong to, we call that the invisible church. But it's easy to say, I belong to the invisible church and have no commitment to the visible church. Friends, this is where we learn how to have grace for differences. This is where we learn where our own immaturities can hide. It's in the rub, it's in the fray of real relationship, life on life. This is God's design. Life together in community is the will of God. It's the will of God. This book that I just mentioned earlier, it's called Living Into Community. The author is Christine Pohl, P-O-H-L. And I'm going to be taking a lot of material out of this book over the next few weeks. And if you're a reader, I'd encourage you to grab this book. If you have space and time in your life right now, grab this book because it is a beautiful blend of the theology and the practices of life together in community. Actually, this book was born out of a project that this author had done. By the way, she's also not just a practitioner, she's also an academic scholar, particularly in the theological arena of church and church life and community. She wrote a book several years before this one called Making Room. 
And that book is all about hospitality. And she did an interview with 60 practitioners who were welcoming strangers into a form of community, people that were working in very, very difficult situations, people that were working with undocumented workers, people that were working with refugees, the homeless. And out of this survey that she conducted over a course of several years, there were two things that stood out to her. These workers said, number one, that it's much easier to welcome people into hospitality to welcome the stranger into community than it is to actually build a sustainable community itself. I thought that was very interesting. The second thing that these workers and practitioners of hospitality shared with the author was this. They said, without community, without community around them, and without community to invite the stranger into, hospitality is limited that we need a community around us to finish and to complete that what is lacking inside of us. That a godly community is actually one of God's instruments in bringing spiritual maturity to people's lives. See, the idea that we can just mature in our relationship with God alone, guys, that's a lie. It's a lie and it's a trap from the enemy. The idea to isolate us and just maybe have us go out and, you know, just me and God and the Bible and me and the Holy Spirit's enough. Friend, that is not God's design. It's not the way that God ever designed it. It is not good for man or for woman to be alone. Even God himself dwells in a council of covenant relationship. We call that theologically the Trinity. It is in the context of relationship where we learn spiritual maturity. So out of the survey, she decided to write another book. It's called Living Into Community. And in this book, she identifies four practices that help to maintain and sustain and cultivate strong community. Now, we all know that community life cannot just be reduced to four practices But we are going to go over these practices over the next few weeks while adding some of our own. The first pillar of living into community is gratitude, is gratitude. And by the way, let me just say this. Let me just say why this matters. Do you guys remember that right before Jesus was crucified, right before he was led to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was betrayed by one of his closest friends, that evening, Jesus prayed a prayer. It was called the High Priestly Prayer. We find this in John chapter 17, and here's what, I'm going to sum this up for you. In John chapter 17, verses 21 through 22, Jesus says, God, would you make my followers unified in heart and spirit so that the world will know that our message is legit? That is a summary. That is, that is a total summary of that scripture. So, so the idea of living into community is so important because our authenticity and credibility as followers of Jesus rests right here on the way that we serve and the way that we forgive and the way that we love and the way that we encourage and the way that we strengthen and the way that we go out of our way for one another. This is the world's greatest sermon, the way that we treat each other. So let's talk about gratitude here for a little bit. Gratitude is vital to sustaining communities. And by the way, I want us 
to be careful that we don't just put this in a space where we say, oh, this is just the church. Friends, the lessons and the principles that we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks, I promise you, if you put these into practice, these are going to help your marriage. These are going to help your future marriage. These are going to help your relationships with your coworkers. These are going to help your relationships with your friends. These are going to strengthen your relationships with your children, with your parents. These are going to strengthen relational evangelism opportunities around you. Nobody likes to be around someone who's ungrateful and complaining all the time. Right? So gratitude is essential into building communities that are holy and good. Guys, we're living in an epidemic of complaint. We're living in an epidemic of complaint. Some of this is technological. Some of this is societal. Some of this is the fact that we have now been groomed and accustomed to our way right away. We've been groomed and accustomed to impatience. We've been groomed and accustomed to get to the point. If you can't communicate it in 126 characters or less, you've been canceled. You've been written off. My attention deficit disorder does not have space for your weaknesses. We've been groomed to become self-absorbed. And gratitude is a form of, or ingratitude is a form of idolatry. This is why this is so dangerous, because ingratitude is actually a form of idolatry. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. Romans chapter 1, 21 through 23. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, watch this, nor did they give thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Gratitude is a way that prevents us and protects us from allowing our hearts to become futile and dark. It opens our heart to a greater God consciousness. It opens our minds to the activity and the presence and the goodness and the beauty of God in our lives and in the world around us. Verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Ingratitude is a form of idolatry. If we look at the garden where Adam and Eve were created, they were given everything in the garden. 99.9% .9 of everything in the garden was given to them save one thing. And a spirit and a heart and a lie of ingratitude caused them to focus on the one thing that they could not have. You see, ingratitude causes us to be discontent and dissatisfied with all the good that is in our lives. Ingratitude keeps us from receiving the grace of God. In fact, just for your notes and to help us as we take steps forward in this, some very easy working definitions for gratitude and gratitude are very, very simply this. Gratitude is the choice to receive grace and to express thanks. To receive grace and to express thanks ingratitude very simply is the converse of that it is the refusal and i'm using refusal and i'm using choice very very intentionally in fact when i first created this working definition i said that gratitude is the ability 
And then as I began thinking about that, I thought, it's not just the ability to receive grace. Gratitude is a choice that we are empowered to make by the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. No matter what is happening in our lives, guys, we are empowered by God to choose to receive grace in every circumstance of our lives and then to give thanks to God. Ingratitude is the refusal to receive grace. Friends, in every relationship, there is a grace. Every relationship that you have is a gift, is grace, and there is grace for that relationship. There is a grace for you to be in Antioch. If you feel like God has called you to be here in this community of faith, there is a grace for all of the shortcomings because there are a lot. There is a grace for all of our weaknesses because there are plenty. But God graces us to live in community and then to express things. Ingratitude is corrosive. It is infectious. And it erodes our ability to see the goodness of God in one another. This is why it's dangerous. It's it's dangerous because it's idolatrous. And it causes us to focus on ourselves. It fosters entitlement. It fosters a spirit of restlessness. In our pursuit for something or someone better, we lose contentment with who God has given to us. It creates a wandering nomadic spirit within a people, the inability to root themselves and plant themselves in a marriage, in a friendship, in a fathering or mothering relationship, or in a community at large. Ingratitude is dangerous, and it spreads. It spreads with our dissatisfaction and our discontentment because one of the greatest ways we express our dissatisfaction is with our words to the people that are around us. So, what shall we do? I want to encourage us this morning to take inventory of a few things. Number one, to take inventory of our focus. To take inventory of what we're placing our attention on. You see, gratitude and ingratitude are closely tied to what we focus on, to what we look at. Over time, our posture of gratitude or ingratitude will create a lens by which we view everything in the world. Everything. Belief systems. The heart and the posture and the attitude of ingratitude creates inside of us a lens whereby then we begin to create belief systems and we begin to look then at every situation and we interpret it through the lens of gratitude or ingratitude and the belief that is formed inside of us as a result. This person can do no right. This community is out of God's will. This person is continually frustrating or disappointing me. The Holy Spirit has left the building. These are all examples of belief systems that are formed out of an ecosystem of gratitude or ingratitude in our hearts. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23 say it like this. Matthew 6, 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, if your perspective, if your interpretation, if the way that you're perceiving the people around you is healthy, you'll be full of light. Your, your, your interpretations will be brought into truth. Light represents truth in the scripture. 
There is a reciprocal relationship between your belief system and your perception and truth. But if your eyes are unhealthy, if your perception is unhealthy, if it's tainted by ingratitude or offense or resentment, your whole body will be full of darkness. You'll interpret, the interpretation that you will assign to every action around you will be dark. It will be skewed. It will be misleading. It will lead to destruction, division, and death. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Take inventory of what you're focusing on. I see this happen a lot in marriages, in the premarital and postmarital counseling that I do. In fact, one of the exercises that I have, find myself having to do often, and I lead young couples in this, you know, when a young couple gets engaged, they can see no wrong. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Even when everyone around them can see red flags, that young person can see no wrong two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road. Sometimes you can see no right. So what I have young couples do when there's that inertia and that's, there's this momentum of passion and romance, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I said, I want you to write a list of 25 things, character qualities that you love about this person. Write them down, keep it with you, rehearse it, pull it out from time to time because the grind of life will cause you to forget these things. When you don't have the momentum of passion and excitement, Right? When the newness wears off, and friends, it will wear off. When the idiosyncrasies begin to get under your skin, what do you do? Go back to that list and choose to focus on the things that you really do love. Choose to focus on the things that you're grateful for. You've got to take inventory. You've got to take inventory of what you're looking at. Number two, we have to take inventory of our words and our responses. What's coming out of your mouth? What's coming out of your mouth towards your spouse, towards your children? What's coming out of your mouth towards your parents, towards your coworker, towards your neighbor, towards your friend, towards your pastor, your teacher, your boss, your church? What's coming out of your mouth? You see, ingratitude and offense, they create a vicious cycle. You know, I think a lot of us are looking back at our society right now and going, how did we get here? It's very, very easy how we got here. Watch the progression. First, we begin with complaining. We find something, and you know, it's so easy to dismiss a habit or a character of complaining. And complaining and murmuring, you guys, this creeps into every area of our lives. Every area where we experience dissatisfaction or discontent and we don't address it, violently in our own lives and we just begin to speak this out we're beginning to create a pattern of living complaining and murmuring then turn into a deep dissatisfaction and it leads us to victimization it leads us it leads us to give our power away to people and circumstance where we play the victim to the things that we don't like in the community that's around us this leads us to fabricating and manipulating stories starts with complaining it leads to dissatisfaction. And then before we know it, we're manipulating stories that we're not even seeing truth and reality as it is. We begin to create these alter realities in our minds. 
That's not what he said. That's not what she said. That's not what he did. You begin filling in the gaps with your imagination because of a spirit of discontentment that is growing inside of you that began with ingratitude and murmuring and complaining. After we fabricate and manipulate stories, it leads us into slander where we begin to tear other people's character down. We become character assassins. Slander moves us into accusation and suspicion. And before we know it, we're a polarized community attacking people that we don't even know. Some people are wondering, Pastor, why aren't you addressing more societal issues? We have an election coming up. Friends, my address to those problems is this. This is my field. This is my jurisdiction. This is my community. And if we can have a community that learns how to reverse this cycle, we can change the world. I'm not going to shout at the darkness. I'm going to appeal to brothers and sisters and say, let's be a community that is a shining witness of the reality of God in the world. We've got to take inventory of what we're saying. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Jesus says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of many of you remember memorizing this verse out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks pay attention to what's coming out of your mouth just because she didn't hear it doesn't mean it's not in your heart just because you're saying it when nobody else isn't around doesn't mean that it will not have collateral damage just because you're in your closet or you're shuffling or you're undoing or redoing something that he did doesn't mean that it will not produce the fruit of a broken relationship if you don't address it. Pay attention. Pay attention to sarcasm. Pay attention to the snarky comments. I had someone tell me years ago that sarcasm is dark humor. It's dark humor. And it is a cowardly approach to speaking the truth in love. Sarcasm does not benefit your relationship. I know you think it does, but it's cowardly. It's sideways. It's not producing life. It's not addressing the real issues. If anything, it's just fostering an environment where hostility and ingratitude are gonna grow in your relationship. All right, let's keep going. Take inventory of your expectations. A lot of times our ingratitude and our offense happen because expectations have not been met. I'm going to read directly out of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. And by the way, some of you who are asking about theological resources, Life Together from a theological standpoint is one of the richest books on a theology of church and community that I have ever read. It is magnificent. Our innumer on, innumerable, on innumerable occasions, a whole Christian community has been shattered because it has lived on the basis of a wishful image. Guys, pay attention to this. Certainly serious Christians who are put in a community for the first time will bring with them a very definite image of what a Christian community should be with all of their zeal. And they will be anxious. They'll be excited to realize it. But God's grace quickly frustrates such dreams. God's grace. 
a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate with ourselves, is bound to overwhelm us as surely as God desires to lead us to an understanding of genuine Christian community. I'm going to explain all this here in a second. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live in a dream world even for a few weeks and to abandon ourselves to those blissful experiences and exalted moods that sweep over us like a wave of rapture. For God is not a God of emotionalism. He's the God of truth. Only that community which enters into the experience of this disillusionment with all of its unpleasant and evil appearances begins to be what it should be in God's sight. It begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. The sooner this moment of disillusion comes over the individual and the community, the better for both. However, a community that cannot bear and cannot survive such disillusionment, clinging instead to its idealized image, when that should be done away with, it loses at the same time the promise of a durable, enduring, sustaining community. Sooner or later, it is bound to collapse. Every human idealized image that is brought into the community is a hindrance to genuine community. Let me say that one more time. Every human idealized image, every fantasy, every fantasy that you have for every relationship that you have is the greatest hindrance to genuine community. And it must be broken up so that genuine community can survive. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the community itself become destroyers of that community. How many people leave churches because that church is not meeting their needs or fulfilling their dream or their vision or their ideal of what that church is supposed to look like? How many husbands leave wives because she is not fulfilling his fantasy of what she's supposed to look like or do or say or sound like or be or cook or clean. It's endless. In fact, the author, Christine Pohl, calls this, she calls this, I've never heard this before, she calls this idea of unrootedness in community life that is based out of ingratitude, she calls it spiritual pornography. She says, because it's rooted in something that is not real. It's rooted in a fantasy. Friends, most of our relationships, if we go back and we take inventory, can fall into this category of, I was so disappointed that you didn't meet my expectations. Practically, let me share some things practically right here. Because expectations need to be conscious. We need to become more mindful of the, of the expectations that we have. The difficult thing here, and this requires humility and it requires maturity, most of us don't realize that we have an expectation until the expectation's not met. And at that point of disappointment, that requires us to go and do deep levels of introspection. Why did I get so disappointed? Where did that expectation come from? You know, something really, really silly. But when I first got married, I realized that 
when Christy wasn't cooking me a big plate of eggs and bacon and toast every morning, I found myself getting really upset about that. It's so silly, right? And then finally I realized, dude, my mom, I mean, like my mom was a stay at home mom. I was an only child. I mean, biscuits and gravy and full blown breakfasts. Like that's just not even feasible with four kids. That's not feasible with two working people. It's not even realistic. And I didn't even know that I had it. And I mean, I mean, you would be really embarrassed of me if I showed you my inventory of the expectations I realized that I had based on the fact that they weren't met. You have expectations of me. They're not met all the time. You have expectations of this church. They're not met all the time. You have expectations of one another. They're not met all the time. And when they're not met and you feel that emotional kickback, pay attention. Pay attention. You got to be conscious of your expectations. Number two, you have to make sure they're realistic. Listen, friend. Listen, friend. If your wife is working another job and just like you, when you come home, I think it's a little unrealistic to expect a buffet dinner every night at 5.30 as soon as your foot opens the door. That's unrealistic with three or four little kids running around that you wanted, by the way. Right? That's just unrealistic. It's not possible. And you're setting yourself up and you're setting your relationship up for failure. Number three, your expectations have to be communicated. Most of us have communications that are or expectations in our head that we never share with one another. And an uncommunicated expectation results always in an unmet expectation. And an unmet expectation results in disappointment and division. Finally, your expectations have to be agreed upon. Just because you become aware of it, just because you, you, just because you assume that it's realistic, and just because you communicate it, doesn't mean the other person agreed to it. It's only binding and valid if they say, yeah, I think that is a good expectation. I'm going to work towards that. All right, Jonathan, if you would come this morning, let me just wrap this up in summary. How gratitude shapes our lives. Number one, it roots us in our relationships and it helps us to resist the temptation to wander. It releases healing and reconciliation into our relationship and communities. It teaches us to bless others. When's the last time you just said, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful you exist. I'm so grateful for your place in my life. And before you know it, if you practice that, you will become someone who is a blesser. You will change your life to become a life giver. It enables you to forgive. Gratitude enables you to be gracious and patient and give other people the benefit of the doubt. Some of your relationships are suffering because you have not given them the benefit of the doubt. It gives you the ability to truly see other people and to value them and take delight in them. It is a form of spiritual warfare. Gratitude protects our hearts from idolatry, offense, slander, division, and selfishness. It cultivates humility. It breaks the power of entitlement. It reminds us that in all things, we are people who receive and who do not make demands. Gratitude leads us to be a, an abundant and generous people, and it allows us to grow into the kind of community that God dreams about. Friends, would you stand with me this morning? Do you know where the word gratitude comes from? It comes from two words, a Latin word called gratia, which means grace, and it comes from a Greek word called Eucharist, 
which means thanksgiving. And every week we come to this table to receive grace and to express thanksgiving. Friends, we have in this house a practice that has the power by the Holy Spirit to shape us into individuals and into a community who can receive grace and who can give thanks. So this morning, I welcome you to the table of the Lord. Jesus died and he laid down his life for you. There is no sin that is greater than his forgiveness or grace. He laid down his life out of love for you because of the Father's love for you. Receive grace today. Let the Holy Spirit enter into your life. Let him be the oil in the gears of your relationships and friendships. Let him bring healing into your heart, your mind, your soul, your past, your future, and let him produce a grateful heart. Friends, come and receive the bread and the cup today. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.